Good morning. Some of you may know that before I went to seminary, I worked for the YMCA in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I ran after school and day camp programs. And we had a skit that we would do for the kids from time to time that I've always remembered and always loved the message of it. Now, unfortunately, I do not have a troop of camp counselors here to perform it for you, but I'll just have to tell you uh, about it and hope that works. It starts off, there's this guy, and he's got a ball, and he's kind of throwing the ball, doing some tricks. Now, it is an imaginary ball uh, for reasons that will become obvious in just a minute, but he's, he's just playing with, with his ball, he's bouncing it around, whatever the actor in the um, skit wants to do, and somebody walks up and says, sees the ball, it's, that is amazing. It's like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Can can um, would you mind if I, would you mind if I held it for a minute? And, and the guy says, "Hold it, gosh, I'll, I'll give it to you." And so he he takes this imaginary ball, breaks it apart, and hands it uh, to the other guy. And and if the actor does his job right, then then you notice that when he takes it apart, he, he goes like this. So he's got a little more than he had before. And the guy says, "Thanks so much," and takes his off. Well, this second guy comes up, he's kind of kicking the ground, he's, he's all shucks and just kind of sad. But then he too sees the ball and he gets wide-eyed and says, oh my gosh, that, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. In fact, I think that may be sort of the answer to what I've, I've been looking for. Can, would you mind if I, if I held it? He said, same thing, hold it, God, I'll give it to you. He hands, takes part of it, gives it to the guy, and again, it goes like this. Well, the guy who gets it just thinks this is, this is the, amazing. He's just so mesmerizing. And, and the guy with the, now has the great big ball says, you know, I, I've got to go going, but enjoy what you have, and, and, um, and I, maybe I'll see you around. And he, he heads off. Well, so we're left with the guy who came in sad, now has this, this ball. He's playing with it. He's starting to bounce it a little bit, find, uh, starting to do, learn some new tricks. And, and somebody comes up, same kind of thing. Oh, my gosh. That's the most beautiful thing I've, I've ever seen. That may be the answer I've been looking for. Can, would you mind if I held it? And he said, you know, actually, I just got it myself, and I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out, and I'm, I, I would just, I'd hate for anything to happen to it. The guy shrugs and, and walks off. Now, if that actor does his job, you notice that his hands go like this, and he, it, gets, it gets a little bit smaller. And then uh, somebody else walks up. Same thing. It's still beautiful. He's frustrated because it's a little smaller now, but he's still playing with it, trying to figure, figure out about this ball. And... and um, and somebody else comes in and, and says, that's the most amazing, gorgeous thing I've ever seen. Can, would you mind if, if I held it for, for a minute? He says, I, I, you know, I just, I hardly, I don't even have as much as I started with. And I, I just would hate, if I give it to you, then I won't have any. And, and the guy shrugs and walks off. And then what he has disappears. He's left with nothing. That point in the skit, that's not the end of the skit, but that point in the skit is, uh, came to mind this week as I read the parable of the talents. The, um, last week, if you remember, we had the parable of the ten bridesmaids. It's about judgment, right? The bridegroom, if you remember, if you didn't see it, you can, you can um, 
go online. You can go to YouTube or you can go to our website and you can get that sermon. But the bridegroom shows up after this long delay and some of the bridesmaids were prepared and some were not. And so some got into the party and some did not. The parable of the talents is the very next thing that comes in Matthew's gospel. Uh, in fact, if you read it in the Bible, they're, they're calling the five bridesmaids that were unprepared, they're calling out uh, to the bridegroom who answers, Truly I tell you, I did not know you. I do not know you. And then Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know neither uh, the day nor the hour, for it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slave. So he goes right in from, from the parable of the ten bridesmaids to the parable of the talents. Right in. It's clearly the second parable of the talent shows ha, carries on the same themes. In fact, you could almost read it as if the parable of the talents is explaining the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And it's this sort of pre-advent, end of Jesus' life, end of the liturgical year uh, reading that we have because we're talking about Jesus' return. If you remember, the disciples had asked Jesus, how are we going to know when you're coming back? And rather than focusing on how they were going to know, Jesus focuses on what it's going to be like when he returns. And so he says, well, it's going to be like a man who's getting ready to go away on a journey. Now, on the face of it, this parable might seem to us a little bit harsh. It's a little bit unfair. You know, like one, one guy gets five talents and one guy gets two talents, and one poor sap, he just gets one little old talent, and, then, and at the end, he's the guy, actually, that gets the boot, while the other guys are fat and happy, right? It doesn't seem fair uh, to us, and also may, might seem like Jesus has finally shown his cards, right? Like all this talk about grace, but now we finally see that what he's really concerned with is performance, you know, return on investment. What did you do with all the stuff that I left for you. If you double it, you're in. If you make a mess of it, you're out. And like, we're talking like way out, according to this, right? Like weeping and gnashing of teeth, out. Does it seem like that to you when you read this parable? So before we start to uh, protest against God's injustice, uh, let's do two things. Let's, uh, let's first remember that a parable is like a metaphor. A parable is like a metaphor. So the different parts point to something else. They represent something else. Now, some of the parables are variously interpreted, and that's, that's on purpose. But some of them, and this is particularly one, some of them are basically one-to-one. -one, this means something else. So there's a good chance then, of course, that, that in this metaphor, that the money actually means something else. It's not money, right? It's It's... It represents something else. It is, of course, true that uh, in life that some have a little and some have a lot. And if you have a lot, we need to be good stewards of what God has given us. In fact, if you have a little, you need to be good steward of what God has given us. That's totally true. That's not the point, though, that Jesus is pressing here. So first, we want to keep in mind that this is a parable likely pointing to something else. Now, the question then is, what is it pointing to? What is that something else? So, to find out, let's do our second thing, and that is let's go back and take a look at what Jesus tells us right at the beginning of the parable. Now we know that already that Jesus is talking about 
this whole scenario around his return, and particularly around judgment. What's it, what is it going to be like? Well, he, here's the background. It's going to be like a man who's about to go on a journey. He's going away, and he's going to be gone for a long time. And like the bridegroom last week, he's going to, he's going to be delayed in his return. Now, Jesus is not going away to vacation in Aruba, right? He is, uh, he's talking about his ascension to the Father. He's going to the right hand of the Father. Remember in John's Gospel, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so the man in the parable is going, he's going on a journey, so he's preparing ahead of time for the journey. So he's called to him his slaves. Now, we don't want to, we don't need to get hung up on the injustice of slavery. Of course, slavery is unjust, but Jesus is speaking in a different era to an audience, a specific audience, and that he's using a social construct that his audience would have understood. So uh, we don't need to get hung up about that. But suffice to say, the man has full authority over these slaves. He can treat them any way he wants to. So how does he treat them? Well, he entrusts to them his property. Now, the word there in the scripture that is translated in English, entrust, means to give something, a possession, into the full possession of another person, into the, full, into the hands of someone else. And, and in fact, it's, it's the same word that's translated elsewhere, uh, delivered, as in Jesus was delivered over to evil men. It's the same word. These valuables are given completely into the hands of these slaves. The man who is going away takes what's rightfully his, the most valuable thing he has to offer, and he's giving it fully into the hands of others that he had every right to judge. Now, it's also helpful if you know that a talent is a boatload of cash. Just a huge, uh, extraordinary amount of money. Uh, it was equal to 20 years' salary for the average worker. So the master is extravagant. I mean, he is, he's throwing his money around. He's giving out million-dollar bills to these slaves. And what's more, he knows them individually, personally. He cares for them tenderly. So he knows what each one needs, and he knows what each one can handle. And we're not giving any details about the distinction between their abilities, but but we, we have probably all heard stories about someone who, um, who won the lottery and all of a sudden had more money than they had ever had in their life and it ruined them. They couldn't handle it. Now, I'm still waiting to prove that I could be the exception uh, to that. Uh, but, um, but nevertheless, typically when someone gets uh, more money than they can handle, it's a, it's a disaster. And if the man going on away on the journey is Jesus ascending to the Father, we can give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that, that he's distributing the valuables in such a way that it is in the best interest of those to whom he is distributing them. So, in that best interest, one gets $5 million bills, one gets $2 million bills, and one gets $1 million. It's a, still a huge amount of money. And the servants get to work. And I want you to notice, too, that the master gives no instruction. 
no instruction. There's no mandate. There's no, you better make me more money. There's just, it, I mean, so it's really like only gift. It's only gift. And yet there seems to be this implicit understanding that, that what they have been entrusted with still belongs entirely to the master. So they get their talents and two head off to the market and one heads off to the hardware store to buy a shovel, right? And so uh, just like, after a long time, just like the bridegroom last week, the man comes back. After a long time, this text says, the master comes back and understandably within the context of this metaphor, uh, he wants to know what his servants have been up to with these extravagant valuables that he's left them. And exuberantly, the first comes forward, five, the five talent servant. You, you, won't, you won't believe it. I made five more talents, $10 million. And, and the, uh, the master says, well done. You've been faithful over a few things. I mean, come on, y'all. A few things. There's not many people in the world that can look at $10 million like it was a few, just a little bit. Right? What kind of wealth does this master have? And he says, listen, so much more is in store for you. I mean, you think this is something, you haven't seen anything yet. Enter into the joy of your master. And I want you to look carefully. The master never takes the ten talents back. I mean, it looks like the servant is just more than willing to give them back, but the master just beams at him. Just, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. I, I can't wait. I have so much more to share with you. Same story for the two-talent servant. Two becomes four. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You were in charge of a little, $4 million. Now you're in charge of a lot. Enter into the joy of your master. And see, the, the reward the master gets is to see his servants flourish. He loves it. Loves it. Then there's the one-talent servant. Right? Mr. Ace Hardware. He gets the shovel buries the extravagance of the master. I knew you were a hard man, he says. In fact, I knew you reaped where you did not sow. In other words, he's accusing the master of being dishonest and unjust, even thieving. Gather where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid of you, he says. To say nothing of the fact that you showered us with wealth when you could have put us in the stocks I was afraid of you friends what's so interesting to me is the servant basically gets from the master what he expected he gets hardness he gets judgment he gets anger and like the sad guy in the YMCA skit he loses the beautiful thing that he was given fact, he actually gets the judgment he was afraid of all along. Wouldn't you think that the ones who had been given more to lose, that they would be the ones who would be more cautious and stressed out? They're actually the ones who are freed up. So the big question, I mean, the, the, the question that the whole parable hangs on is what is the talent? What does it represent? 
I mean, in this metaphor where the man is Jesus and the journey is the time before uh, Jesus' Jesus' return and we're all the servants, what does the talent represent? What is it that would cause the one who has a ton to be freed up? But the one who has only a little bit gets afraid. It's another story It's over in the Gospel of Luke, and I wonder if you remember. It's uh, the story where Jesus is eating dinner in a Pharisee's house, and this woman comes in. She's known to be a sinful woman, and she comes in and uh, begins to uh, cry and and, uh, wash Jesus' feet with her tears and dry the tears on her feet with her hair. Do you remember this story? And, and I mean, understandably, in one sense, the Pharisee gets real irritated about it. The sinful woman come in, if he was a real... prophet he would know who this is and Jesus tells him a parable it's another story about money and he, it's a story about a, a person who owed a money lender 500 denarii but there's a second person who owes the money lender 50 so one owes 500 one owes 50 and neither one could pay so he forgave the debt of both and Jesus asks the Pharisee he says uh, well let me ask you, who do you think loved the moneylender more? The Pharisees said, well, I guess the one who had the greater debt forgiven. And Jesus responds by contrasting the extravagant affection of the woman with the cold and stifling greeting that the Pharisee had given to Jesus, saying, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. One who has been forgiven little loves little. And I think in that light, the talents, in the parable of the talents, the talents must represent God's grace. His incredible, extravagant forgiveness and love. That's what he's entrusting to us. The most valuable thing he has to offer is his over-the-top, unearned love. His unconditional forgiveness, his unbridled redemption, his eternal hope. I mean, if you think you don't really need it, you, know, you don't need that much of God's forgiveness, all that sentimental syrupy talk about love. You're doing fine on your own, thank you very much. More likely just to bury what little you've been given, or at least what little you think you have. Much more likely, too, to think of God as a tyrant, as a bookkeeper of morality. And then you're going to be way more peevish about losing what God has given to you than you will be eager to experience all that He has in store for you. If you think you don't need grace, then the offer of grace is not very impressive. But... (laughs) But if we can see just how deep our need for God's love and forgiveness really goes, if we can see just how lavish and extravagant His grace really is, if you can see the depths and the heights and the lengths that He's gone to give it to us and the fact that He's really asked no more of uh, us than to enjoy what He's given us. If you can see 
the amazing, joyful heart from which it all flows, then it actually frees us up to multiply it. The five-talent servant is the one who found himself at the very bottom of life's ditch and who found God's grace more extravagant, more unbelievable than he can ever imagine. He can't wait to share it with anybody he comes in contact with. The talents are pure 24 karat grace and your big spending savior is throwing his money around. He delights in the flourishing of his children. So I know you're all wondering, how did the skit end? <laughs> so the guy's sitting there, he's like, golly, I just had it right here. This stupid day is terrible. And the guy, the first guy who gave it to him comes in, and now, like, if he does it right, he's just holding this, boom, boom. He has incredible load of joy. And he says, Hey, man, what's, uh, what's going on? He goes, I had, I had it. I lost it. I don't know what. Now you got all this. He said, did I forget to tell you? <laughs> the only way to get more of it is to give what you got away. What, what's that? that doesn't make any sense. Give away to get more? That doesn't make any sense. I don't know how it works either, man, but look what I got. You want some more? And, of course, he takes some, and he's all happy, and they all go off. It's called the love of God skit. <laughs> the way to get more is by giving away what you got. If you don't think you need what God has given you, then the offer of grace is not very impressive. But if we realize we're all the five-talent servants, and there is no shortage of talent, We will be excited to share what we've got. So five-talent servant, what are you going to do with what you've been given? Amen.